Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation Havas Torah initiative. In Perek Yud Gimel of Sefer Shoftim, we begin the narrative of Shimshon. And Shimshon is certainly the most well-known and iconic Shofet. He's the Shofet that also gets the most real estate in the Sefer itself, covering four Prakim. Shimshon is a remarkably complex character, both profoundly heroic and obviously problematic. And readings of Shimshon can, di- can differ to a great degree. But certainly we can say with clarity that he possesses qualities that make him the nearest approximation of a superhero in Tanakh. And every good superhero needs an origin story. Perak Yud Gimel is Shimshon's origin story. We learn that there is a man from the tribe of Dan named Manoach, and his wife, who is called only Eshet Manoach, um, although Chazal give her a name, so nonetheless, we're going to call her Eshet Manoach, that's what the text calls her, and we're told that she is barren. An angel appears to her and tells her that her son will be the savior of Israel from the hands of the Plishtim, who are in the southwest uh, of, the, of the land of Canaan, and that her son will become a Nazir. He then gives Eshet Manoach a bunch of rules regarding her pregnancy that are, that are an outgrowth of the laws that govern Nazirus, and tells Eshet Manoach how she is to treat her son, relating to the laws, again, that pertain to Nazirus. So let's take a step back for a moment and review the three essential laws that govern the Nazir from the Torah. Generally, a person who takes a, uh, if a person wants to become a Nazir, that person, man or woman, takes a vow uh, that for some period of time, he will live a kind of ascetic life. And during that period of time, the Nazir refrains from three things, cutting hair, cutting their own hair, having their hair cut. Um, Number two, drinking wine or really having any grape products altogether. That's number two. And number three, coming in contact with the dead. It's clear from the prakim that will follow that Shimshon grew his hair long. That's obvious. That's clear. And likely that he refrained from drinking wine. But he is supposed to be the savior of Israel. And he is endowed with super strength. It's hard to imagine that he's not going to come in contact with the dead. He's a born killing machine. His job is to kill Plishtim. And we know that that is what he's going to do. He's going to kill a lot of Plishtim. And so it seems like he's designed to go against this one uh, pillar of the whole Nazirus institution. And so what is clear to us is that we are not looking at the typical, the prototypical Nazir. Uh, we're looking at something that is um, distinct. Okay, so this angel gives Eshes Manoach this news. She then runs to tell Manoach, and, uh, and she seems certain to have had a, a pretty significant experience with a messenger from God, but obviously at this point also does not recognize that she had encountered an angel. Manoach then beseeches God to send this messenger back, and again the angel appears, ironically, Perhaps even comically, she appears to Eshet Manoach again, not to Manoach. It kind of seems like a little bit of a slap in the face to Manoach. But Eshet Manoach dutifully goes and runs and, 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 and uh, gets Manoach. And the angel again presents all of the details, or really most of the details, I'll say, that he had presented to Eshet Manoach in the prior encounter. Still, it seems that Manoach and his wife don't fully comprehend what they are experiencing. Manoach asks the angel uh, for his name, the angel uh, 
doesn't have a name because angels don't have names. He offers angel food. Angels don't eat food. Finally, the angel tells them to offer something to God, and they do, and a miracle occurs such that the food is divinely consumed, and the angel then disappears. And now, Manoach and his wife realize that, oh, it was an angel all along. Manoach briefly worries that they might die, having had this encounter, having seen the divine, and an Eshet Manoach comes him down and says, no, this miracle wouldn't have occurred, and we wouldn't have been given this, this mandate if God wanted to kill us. That's a, a pretty reasonable overview of the narrative in this parak. Now, to my mind, there are two essential burning questions that we have to ask ourselves uh, with respect to this parak. The first is, why do we have this parak at all? Why is this context so important or necessary that we get this whole parak about his parents finding out and they weren't sure about the message and the angel had to come back? We could just as soon not have had this parak altogether and just learned in the first pasuk of our introdu- introduction to Shimshon that Shimshon was a Nazir from birth. Gamarnu, that would have been enough. So why do we have to have this whole, the whole structure, this whole back and forth and the angel and we didn't know and then they did know and then they thought they were going to die? What's, what, what does it do for us? Answering this question really hangs on how we answer many smaller questions uh, of, in this perek relating to Manoach and Eshet Manoach. It's not clear if we're meant to see them as great people or perhaps uh, a bit foolish. The perek does read kind of comically uh, in more ways than I've noted above, but I also I, I did note above one, one comic uh, dimension of the perek. But it, it reads, they don't come across, um, I'll say it like this, I do think that the degree to which these two individuals are kind of flummoxed by this encounter with the angel perhaps tells us about uh, who they are and, by extension, who the, where the nation is right now. Presumably, we're talking about the greatest people of the time because they, they merited such a special child and they merited this kind of divine encounter with an angel. Aisha Manach being infertile also certainly puts her in amazing company in the in the pantheon of, uh, of, of matriarchs in Tanakh who, who are infertile and then are, are, have an encounter and are told that they're going to have a child. So all of that suggests that these are great people. And yet the whole encounter seems so bewildering to them. How often in Tanakh does it happen that Hashem sends a messenger and, and, and offers a message and then the recipient has to go back to Hashem and say, um, Hashem, can you send that, that angel again? My notes are a bit fuzzy. I, I, didn't, I didn't quite capture it all. Right? So they don't, they come across, as I said, a bit bewildered, a bit flummoxed by this whole situation. And I'd also note that unlike other uh, women in Tanakh who have struggled with infertility, uh, here, Eshet Manoach doesn't seem to have reached out and been beseeching God. The angel just appears. We're told that she is infertile, and then the, the angel appears. So it's not the result, seemingly, perhaps the, the text simply doesn't tell us, but in the way that the text presents it to us, we don't see that this is the result of Eshet Manoach's prayers or Manoach's prayers either. Perhaps this all really reflects on the, the lower level of Manoach and his wife. And if indeed we assume that they are the cream of the cream uh, of this generation, then in turn it reflects on the nation as a whole being kind of lost and bewildered. Those are my thoughts uh, on that and, and why we need to have this parak. I'm not totally satisfied with this answer, and I encourage you to keep thinking about it. And of course, if you have a particular insight, please don't hesitate to send it my way. Um, I'm still really thinking about this and working on it. And uh, perhaps uh, an answer will kind of clarify and crystallize as we continue to move through the prakim relating to Shimshon. The second question 
that this parak begs is why is Shimshon a Nazir? We have had a whole bunch of Shoftim, and none of them have been a Nazir so far. So why start now? Why start with Shimshon? Why is he seemingly being put up on a higher pedestal? And answering this question partially hangs on how we think about the whole institution of Nazirus. According to Nachmanides, according to Ramban, Nazirus is a very lofty and laudable thing for a person to undertake. It's uh, it's something that the Ramban thinks is, is wonderful, and then the Ramban has to figure out, well, why at the end of Naziris do you have to give uh, a karban chatas, a sin offering? How is this a sin offering? And that's beyond the scope of what we'll discuss today. Rambam, Maimonides, though, views Naziris in a very different light. He views it as something that's not an ideal state of being, but it's a kind of emergency stopgap measure, a temporary ascetic life experience that's meant as a corrective to a life that has veered too much in the other direction. And I think that this second approach, Maimonides' approach, fits best in our context. Why does Shimshon need to be a Nazir? It's because Shimshon was completely taken by his hedonistic pleasures, particularly that of women, despite being a Nazir. So it seems that he specifically needs the corrective of Nazirs to try and maintain some sense of balance, because without it, he would have been even more volatile, and he would have been even more susceptible to doing things that are problematic. So once we recognize that Naziris does not indicate that Shimshon is on a greater level than previous Shoftim, that it is in fact the opposite, that Shimshon was the first Shofet who desperately needed this external corrective, we understand well that Shimshon is not destined from birth to be this uh, righteous, virtuous leader unlike anyone who had come before him. He was destined to be the most complicated, morally complicated, religiously complicated Shofet, which he ultimately becomes. And that's why he needed to become a Nazir. And of course, as we continue to say, the Shofate is an outgrowth of his or her time. And so now that we have reached this last Shofate on what has been a pretty consistent downward trajectory of Sefer Shoftim, now we have a Shofate who is so far from the ranks of Niel and Devorah uh, that even before he's born, Hashem needs to try and rein him in, to try and contain him. And that's why he gives him this, this special mandate of becoming a Nazir to his mother, uh, through his mother, uh, and through his father. But as we will see, the Nazirus will do little to temper the absolute hurricane that is Shimshon. That's it for today. Chazaf and happy learning.